All right. Well, if you want to, you can turn your Bibles to Acts 1-8. That's where we're going to begin this morning. We'll be in a couple of different places this morning, but we're going to begin there. And let me start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you again for the opportunity that we have to gather together to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we pray, as we sing, and now as we study your word, God. And may we know your word and make application in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week I taught on the story of the Good Samaritan and we talked about how the lawyer stood up and he wanted to put Jesus to the test and he asked him the question, you know, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And through the information that uh, he gave back to Jesus and Jesus telling this story of the Good Samaritan, he should have realized that not only Could he not, but no one can do anything, can be good enough, can keep the law well enough in order to save themselves. And so that's why God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, to rise again, to conquer death, so that whoever, that's anyone, would simply believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. And if you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus Christ for the greatest gift of all, eternal life and eternal relationship, not only with him, but with all of your fellow believers right where you're sitting today, you can believe in him and he offers you that gift, the gift of eternal life. But as we went on in that story, you know, the lawyer tried to justify himself by asking Jesus who was his neighbor. You know, he thought if he could keep the law, you know, loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself, then he could justify himself. He could qualify himself. And he asked Jesus, who is your neighbor? And so Jesus told this story of the good Samaritan. And um, as he did that, you know, we said we can make application because Jesus said at the end of that story, go and do the same. Go be a neighbor to anyone who crosses your path. And so that's one of the applications we made last week was go and do the same. Be a neighbor to anyone who crosses your path. And so today I thought we would continue on with that and talk about how can we be a neighbor to all people, to anyone who crosses our path. And we're going to break it down into two different groups of people. We'll first begin looking at Acts 1-8 and see what we are to do. How can we be a neighbor to the unbelievers that cross our path? And we're going to see that we are to use the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is doing here in Acts 1-8. He's telling his disciples that here just pretty soon you're going to receive the Holy Spirit to empower you. To be my witnesses. And then he tells them in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And we're going to see that flow and make application in our lives as well as we look at that. Then we're going to talk about believers. What are we to do as believers in Jesus Christ? And how are we to be a neighbor to anyone who crosses our path? And we're going to see that we are to preserve the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit has placed us in the body of Christ. We are one in the body of Christ. He has implanted into us unity and we just have to preserve that unity and we're going to see some ways to do that five different things from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 but we're going to look at this whole passage 1 through 6 and see how that relates to us as believers and how we are to preserve that unity in humility gentleness patience and showing tolerance to one another 
So let's begin by thinking about the unbelievers and looking at Acts 1.8. And it says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Before we get to this passage and start looking at it and breaking it down, let me say this. This is an important passage to know, to memorize, and to make application. Not just because of the information in there is, is vital for us to go and do, but this is how the book of Acts breaks down. You see, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and they receive this power. And Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he proclaims the good news message of Jesus Christ. He is a witness of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. And he shares that with people. And many souls were were added to the body of Christ on that day. And then what happens? Well, there's persecution that comes. And then in Acts chapter 7, we see the stoning of Stephen. And he is put to death because he's standing for his faith, because he's a witness of Jesus Christ. And so what happens? The message begins to spread out because the disciples begin to spread out because of the persecution that happens. And then what happens in Acts chapter 9? Well, Saul makes the conversion to Paul as he meets the Lord on the Damascus road and he changes. And then throughout the rest of the book, we see that at that Paul goes on three missionary journeys, taking the gospel even to the remotest parts of the earth. So it's a vital verse of scripture. But let's think about this. All throughout the book of Acts, we see that it's difficult to be a witness of Jesus Christ. We see it in our world today. It's often met with persecution. But through this verse, we're going to see that we, God has given us the power we need to fulfill this ministry he has given us to do. To be a neighbor to unbelievers, it's not easy. It's not the natural thing to do. That's why Jesus has given us the helper, the Holy Spirit, to empower us not only to be witnesses, but to live the Christian life. So let's go back to our verse and let's begin. It begins with, but... But you will receive power. So what is but? It shows contrast. So we got to go back and see what the contrast is. You see, Jesus is walking and he's talking with his disciples. And uh, that he's already died on the cross, paid for sin. He's already arose from the grave to conquer death. He's been walking and talking on the earth for 40 days now. And he's been teaching his disciples about the kingdom. And, you know, their response was, well, is it now time for the kingdom? I mean, it makes sense. You've died and rose again. Now is it time for the kingdom? And he tells them it's not the time for the kingdom, but... This is what I have for you to do. This is what I'm leaving you here to do. And that is to be my witnesses. And so he says, but you'll receive power. And let me talk about this. You know, we just had the 4th of July and we saw the fireworks and everything. And, you know, we went to the store, went to the... Um, fireworks stand and bought some fireworks, you know, and they got those little snap pops and you throw them on the ground. They go, bing. You know, and no big explosion or anything, nothing fancy or fabulous about it. And then, you know, now they got these adult ones and they 
throw them on the ground. And I mean, they make a louder boom, but, you know, nothing really exciting or anything. But then, you know, you can get those missiles that go up in the air and they look all pretty and they boom up in the air. And then, you know, we were out here shooting them and we looked into town and and Stillwater had their uh, fireworks show going on. And I mean, they were shooting these things way up in the air with beautiful colors coming out of them. And, you know, the power that we have is even more explosive than that. The word that's used here in the Greek is the word dynamis. It's the word we get dynamite from. And that's the kind of power that we have inside of us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. It's dynamite power. It's power that blows up buildings. And it's the power that can take Satan down. Because Satan doesn't want us to be witnesses to the unbelievers who are in this world. And so you know what he puts in us? Fear, timidity. I love Second Timothy one seven or Second Timothy one seven. Yeah, it says, "For God has not given us a spirit of timidity." You see that timidity, that fear that you have whenever you stand before people to share the gospel is not from God. That's from the world, the flesh, and the devil. They don't want us to share the good news message with people. But God has given us but a spirit of power and love. And discipline. That's what that verse goes on to say. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. What kind of power do we have in us? We have the Holy Spirit indwelling, living inside of us. That's that dynamite power that I was talking about that we have inside of us to share the gospel. He's given us love, love for God and love for others. We have a love for God. Why? Because God so loved us that he sent his son to die and to rise again in our place so that we could have eternal life as a gift. And so we have a love for God and we should want to give this message to other people. He's put in us love for other people. And so we should want to share the message, the good news message of Jesus Christ with unbelievers that come across our path because he's put love in us. And then he's also given us discipline. And that means training. That means self-discipline to do the things that we're supposed to do. He's ingrained that in us. And so we have the discipline to study the word of God, to know the word of God, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us, to know what the gospel is, to know what the response is, to know what the offer is, so that if we're standing in front of somebody, that we can give them the answer. We can give them the good news message of Jesus Christ. So he's given us power, he's given us love, and he's given us self-discipline. The the choice is ours. Are we going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, or are we going to live in the flesh? We have to choose. So God has given us everything that we need. He's given us this explosive, this dynamite power to share the word of God. But let's go back to the verse. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon them. And so this is a little different. You know, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit yet at this time. Why didn't they do so? Well, look back to verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1. It says, gathering them together. This is talking about Jesus gathering the disciples together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many many days from now. So they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus was still on the earth. He was still walking and talking, and so he hadn't been glorified. He wasn't taken back and ascended to the Father yet at this point in time. Remember last week as we led into that passage, we said that Jesus turned to his disciples. He said, you guys are blessed because you're living in the first advent of Jesus Christ. You're blessed because you're living in a time that nobody else ever has. But let me tell you what, they were even more blessed when Jesus Christ ascended back into heaven because... Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. This is John seven thirty nine. Jesus is speaking and he says, but this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Going on in John 16, 7. So they hadn't received this spirit because Jesus wasn't yet glorified. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then finally in John 14, 16 and 7. He said, I'll ask the father and he'll give you another helper. That he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And so they were blessed because they lived at the time of Christ. But you know what Christ did? He went away on a mountain to pray and the disciples were left there. The disciples took off in a boat because he told them to go to the other side and Jesus stayed here. But you know what? After he ascended into heaven, they had the Holy Spirit living inside of them that was never going to leave them throughout their life. And so the question is, they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. But what about us? Well, we received the Holy Spirit at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ because Christ has now been glorified. So we get the Holy Spirit at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. We get eternal life at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. We get the forgiveness of sins at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ and many other things. But we have that dynamite power, that power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us even right now. So we have the Holy Spirit and we have the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what? To be witnesses. What does a witness do? He gives a testimony of what is true. You think about going to a court room and you, and a witness takes the witness stand. And what does he do? He says, you know, I'll tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, you know, so help me God. And so, you know, he testifies that I'm going to tell the truth. And that's what these disciples were to do. They were to tell the truth. They saw Jesus walking on this earth, talking on this earth, teaching on this earth. They saw Jesus Christ. Some of them saw him on the cross being put to death. They knew he was placed in the grave. They saw him risen. And a matter of fact, at this point in time, you know, they're walking and talking with him right here in Acts chapter one, verse eight. And so they were to be witnesses of the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they are about to see even his ascension. And so we too are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, of his death and his resurrection, of his life. We see all of that in God's word, which is truth. John 17, 17 says, thy word is truth. And so we are to be witnesses of the truth of Jesus Christ. So we're to tell the good news story to everyone that we come in contact with. 
And then he tells them to be witnesses where? Beginning in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So let's make application in our own lives. We're to be witnesses beginning where we are. Where are we at? We're in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And so this is our hometown. Some of you may be from Perry, Guthrie, Pawnee, um, some different places. But wherever you are, that is where you are to begin. That's where the disciples were. They were in Jerusalem. And Jesus told them to stay there until they received the Holy Spirit. And then they go and have the power to do what it is that he called them to do, to be witnesses. We have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us and we are to begin where we at, where we are at. And so we are to begin in our family. We are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our classmates, to whoever it is that's in our sphere of influence. We are to begin sharing the gospel there. And many times this is the hardest place that I, whenever I talk to people and even in my own life that I see it's the hardest to share the gospel with, but it shouldn't be, you know, people say, but I'm worried about my relationship with my friends. And you know, if we start talking about Christ all the time, then, you know, they may not be my friend anymore, but are you more worried about a temporary relationship that may last one year, 10 years, a hundred years on this earth or having an eternal relationship with them forever because you've believed in Jesus Christ, you're going to be with him forever and you want them to be with them forever. And so we've got to engage that love that God has put in us for our friends and we've got to engage in sharing the gospel with them with the power that we have within us in the Holy Spirit. Well, he says from there, you go from Jerusalem to all Judea. So that's from a city to a bigger portion, a bigger piece of land. And so it's like us going from from Stillwater to Oklahoma or even across the United States, taking the gospel message. And you say, well, you know, how do we do that? Well, this is the time of year that everybody takes vacations. You get in your car, you're traveling from state to state. And so you have opportunities to take the gospel with you. You stop at a gas station. You might have a conversation with somebody that's there pumping gas. You may have a conversation with a, with a waitress or somebody that's staying in the, in the room next to you. Um, and so we have all kinds of opportunities as we travel. You know, you get on an airplane, you've got somebody sitting beside you. I don't think they're going to get up and jump out of the plane if you start talking about Christ to them. Um, and so you've got a captive audience. That's what Paul did whenever he had the, the soldiers chained to him. you got a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. You know, it's an opportunity to share Christ with those people. Um, or lo and behold, you have a layover and, and uh, you know, a flight delay. I don't think that ever happens anymore in airports, does it? Yeah, it happens all the time. And so it may be an opportunity for you to be a witness to people across the nation as you travel across the nation, whether by car or by plane. And then it, he says, even to Samaria, and we talked about last week, you know, when we made that example, we talked about how... Um, Jesus was telling this story and you know, there's the priest that goes by, then the Levite goes by, and then you are expecting a Jewish person, you know, someone that was like them. But what did Jesus do? He brought in a Samaritan and we said that the crowd that was there, the Jews that were there would have been furious because Jesus brought a Samaritan into the story. And we made a, 
an illustration based on that saying, man, just think, you know, you had a, a rowdy group of, of cowboy fans together and Mike Gundy says, Hey man, I'm going to bring an example in here for that. I want you all to be like, and so I'm going to, I'm going to call in Barry Switzer. One of these Sooners, and uh, he's going to tell you, you know, what it's like to be, to be a good football player. You know what all them people would do? Boo him out of there. You know, they don't want to hear those things. And there are some people who say, you know, well, we don't want any of those Sooners in heaven with us, do we? And so we don't want to share the gospel with them. Or maybe, you know, there's thieves and murderers. I mean, I don't think God should let them people in. So I don't want to go share the gospel with those people or people who don't think like I do. I mean, I don't want to go share the gospel with them. I don't like those people. I don't like the way that they act. But what does Jesus tell them to do? He says, go to Samaria. He says, go to Norman, share the gospel with those people. They need the good news message of Jesus Christ. He says, I desire for all men to be saved and come to to the knowledge of truth. And so that's what we are to be doing. We're to be sharing the gospel even with those that we don't like or that don't have the same mindset, the same look um, that we do in our lives. And then finally, he says, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so we've got, you know, all across the world, we are to be sharing the gospel. And so some people go on mission trips. Some people are missionaries. And you say, man, I just, that's not for me. I want to be here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. So how am I going to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth? Well, you can give to missions directly. And that takes the message to those other countries, to those other places. Um, You give money here to Stillwater Bible and we support many missions. We just saw the mission of the month. We got a board out there of all the missionaries that we support as a church. So you give to this church, you're supporting missions and people being witnesses of Jesus Christ, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And you say, man, those are some great ways, but you want to stay here in Stillwater and reach the uttermost parts of the earth. A great way to do that is found just a few miles up the road. There's a campus up there, Oklahoma State University. Guess who's on that campus? People from all different countries. And who are those people that are here from other countries? They're the smartest, the the most intelligent people, the people that are going to go back there and start up companies, people that are going to be in government leadership positions later on in their lives. And so if you want to touch the world for Jesus Christ, you can go right up there and and look for those people and share the gospel. And whenever they go back, if you can share the gospel with them, you can teach them and train them in their lives, then that gospel can spread not only in their country, but even to the remotest parts of the earth. So what have we seen so far? That we are to be witnesses to anyone who crosses our paths who are unbelievers using the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are to begin where we're at with our family, our friends, our co-workers. We're to spread across our, our state and our nation as we travel. And then we are to go... Um, to those people who are not like us and then ultimately even to the remotest parts of the earth as we go on mission trips, sport, support missions, or even on the campus of Oklahoma State University. So we have opportunities to share the gospel, to be witnesses. God has empowered us to do that. But what about believers? So we're going to change directions here. If you want to, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to talk about 
How are we to be a neighbor to the believers when they cross our paths? And we're going to talk about preserving the unity of the spirit in humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance and being in in love. We're to do all of those things in love. So we're going to begin with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. And so he's been giving some theological information in the first three chapters. In chapter 4, he begins practical application. And he tells us to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And what are we called as those who have believed in Jesus Christ? Do you know we're called saints? That we are called holy, that we are to be holy as Christ is holy. That we're called children of God, so we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all in the same family together. We are called as ambassadors for Christ. That means we are Christ's representatives here on this earth. Both individually and corporately, we are to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are to represent Him. And so in doing so, we have to represent Christ. We have to be like Christ. We have to look like Christ, not only individually in our lives, but corporately as a body. Because who would want to come and join the body of Christ that that has disunity in it? And so we have to be unified. We have to come together and we have to live as a unified body. He tells us how we are to do that in verse 2. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. So these are the five key principles that we're going to look at, and we're going to look at them very quickly. He starts off with humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 states it very well. He says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's what humility is. It's seeing others as more important than yourselves. It's seeing the body of Christ as a whole as more important than ourselves. That I'm more worried about other people and other and the body as a whole than I am about my own individual Life and my own individual thoughts. And so that's what he tells us to do. In First Peter 5, 6 and 7, he says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt us at the proper time. So we are to live our lives in humility. Humility is the life that Christ lived his life by. He humbled himself. He left the glories of heaven. He became a man and he willingly went to the cross of Calvary for you and me. He humbled himself to the point of death, even the death on the cross. We are to live our lives the same way, sacrificially being humble. Then he goes on and says, in gentleness... Gentleness is meekness or power under control. We're to be gentle whenever we're dealing with other believers in the body of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 4.29, towards the end of this chapter, he says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, for the building up of one another. So that's what we're to be doing. We're to be gentle with one another. Then he goes on and says, patience. Patience is long-suffering. Zondervan's dictionary puts it this way. Believers are called upon to be patient in their expectations of God's actions and in their relationships with one another. We are to be patient with one another. 
You know, people are fallen. They're broken. And so we have to be patient with those people. He goes on and says, showing tolerance. You know, we're all fallen people and we all make mistakes. And so we have to deal with people showing tolerance to one another, allowing as first Peter four, eight says, love to cover a multitude of sins. And then at the end of Ephesians chapter four, he says in Ephesians four thirty two, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So if we want to preserve the unity, he ends the chapter dealing with this unity by telling us that we need to forgive one another just as God in Christ has also forgiven us. And so we are to do it with the Christ-like forgiveness, not forgiving here and there. And I can forgive that, but I can't forgive this. No, God forgave us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And we need to be able to forgive as Christ forgave us with that same type of forgiveness. He goes on in verse 3 and says, Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be diligent, be careful to preserve the unity. It's easy to create disunity. It's work to preserve unity. It's natural to create disunity. It's supernatural to preserve unity. So we must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. God has already made the unity. We just have to preserve the unity. The Holy Spirit placed us in one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, giving us different gifts, talents, and abilities to be used to build up the body of Christ, to, to grow the body of Christ, to make us like we are supposed to be. And so we need to preserve the unity because God is unity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we as the body of Christ are to be unified as well. He goes on in, in verses four through six and he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. So we have seven ones in this passage. We have one spirit who activates our fellowship. We have one body. We are a fellowship of believers who have come together. We have one hope. Our hope is in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And that word hope doesn't mean I hope it's going to happen. I don't know for sure if it is or not. That's eager anticipation. We have one hope. That Jesus Christ is coming back. We're eagerly awaiting that day. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Get us out of this world and all of the confusion and everything that's going on in it. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ, to whom we belong. He's the one who bore in his body our sins on the cross. And it is to him whom we are to serve. We have one Lord, one faith. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. We undergo one baptism, the Holy Spirit placing us in the body of Christ. And we have one God who is our Father who keeps us from all eternity. You see, no one can snatch us out of His hand. We have the assurance of our salvation because God keeps us. So here we have the grounds for our unity in the church. Too often believers are separated over minor differences. Churches split over minor differences. These are the things that the devil loves because they cause distraction. 
They cause distraction and keep us from doing what it is that God has called us here to do, which is to make disciples, evangelizing the unbelievers, being witnesses to the unbelievers, and growing and building up and teaching the other believers in the body. That's what happens whenever we get focused on the small things, the things that don't have eternal um, implications to them. We get focused on those things and we lose focus of the thing that we are supposed to be doing. Another way we are to preserve unity is watch how we say things. You know, we say things and sometimes we say things that are not really that bad, but with the way we say them, they come across in a negative way. And so if we want to preserve unity, we've got to watch not only what we say, but how we say it. So we need to preserve the unity. And the final thing, if we go back to verse 2, he gives those list of things that we are to be doing in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 4. With all humility, gentleness, impatience, showing tolerance for one another. And then it finishes with in love. You know, in John thirteen thirty four and 35, we're going back here first to the story of the Good Samaritan last week. And he said, you know, Jesus asked him, you know the law, what does it say? And he says, well, you got to love God and you got to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that's how you fulfill the law. By by keeping the law, doing it exactly right. You just got to love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus stepped that up in John 13, 34 and 35. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. And so we are to love like Jesus loves. I saw that on Caritha's shirt this morning. So we are to love like Jesus loves. And that's the kind of love that we are to have. It's a sacrificial love. That's what we are to give to other people. It's not just love your neighbor as yourself. You know, do as you'd have done unto you. But we are to love with the sacrificial love like Christ loved us. And you know what happens whenever we love one another in the body that way? When we love one another, whenever we're out in the store and people see us loving each other in that way, hugging each other, giving fist bumps, high fives, and being there for one another. You know what people outside of the body say? Man, I want what they got. My family that I have at home, man, it is it is messed up. But those people, they got family. They care about one another. They love one another. I want inside. I want what they've got. I want in the body of Christ. I want in that church. And that's what happens. But if we have disunity, people don't want to be in there. And that's what he goes on to say in John 13, 35. The whole world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. When we're loving one another, when we have unity in the body, whenever we have unity across the body of Christ, not just in this building, but across the nation that everyone who has believed in Jesus Christ, when we're unified and we're living for Christ and we're loving one another, we're dealing with people with gentleness, humility, showing tolerance to one another, being patient with one another, then guess what happens? People want in the body. They want what we've got. And so we need to be unified. We need to be living out this Christ-like love in our lives. So what have we seen this morning? We can do that by 
thinking about some applications. As unbelievers cross my path, I'll be a witness to them. That's what we need to be doing in our lives. That's what we began with. As unbelievers cross our path, I'll be a witness. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, that dynamite type power. So we don't need to be timid. We don't need to be scared. We need to ignite. We need to light that that match and, and light that fire and ignite that dynamite that is in us and share the gospel beginning where we are, spreading across the country and across the nation and even taking it to those people that we don't really like, we don't really care about or care for. We should care about them because they are people of God. But then second, as believers cross my path, I'll be diligent to preserve the unity with them. I'm going to go out of my way to show love to those other believers in the body of Christ so that the world can see me and want to have what I've got so that the world can see the love and the family that we have because we are one body of Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ and they want to join the family of God. And so my charge to you today is the same as it was last week. Let's leave this place and let's go be a neighbor to anyone who crosses our path, whether they be unbelievers or whether they be believers. And how are we going to know if they're unbelievers? We have to ask them the question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And why? And if they don't know the answer, if they think they wouldn't go, let's share with them the good news message, the message that brings them from death to life. And for believers... Let's show love for one another so that others will want the body of Christ for themselves.